So I'm going to start, even though we are kind of limited right now uh, in terms of the scope. But one of the places I wanted to start is Cleveland. Um, so for those of you who know, I was actually with Jen in Cleveland this weekend for Nina Turner's home stretch of her election against Chantel Brown. Unfortunately, it did not prove to be, uh, once again, the type of trip that we were hoping for. And so for a lot of people who are on the outside looking in wondering, well, you know, how did Nina's campaign turn out the way that it did once again? Um, there are many reasons for that. Um, I know there's obviously a sentiment, um, you know, in terms of Nina did not have a lot of support from the progressive base, and it's true that she didn't. Um, you know, that was a huge part of it for sure. Uh, the fact that AOC decided to come in at the 11 o'clock hour and endorse uh, without really having the type of influence that she could have had. One of the things that was never mentioned is the fact that AOC never even made a social media post about her endorsement. She apparently sent out a fundraising email. That was the extent of her endorsement for Nina Turner. Had she endorsed even three or four weeks prior, it could have made a huge difference because fundraising would have been a lot more robust and perhaps a lot more people would have been apt to get on the phones, text, phone bank. You know, those types of things make a huge difference. So if you're gonna endorse at the last minute, I'm almost wondering why wouldn't you have endorsed sooner? If you're gonna piss off people in the democratic establishment ranks, you know, why not do it when it's actually relevant? So I thought that move by AOC was pretty lowbrow. I have no doubt that others were threatened, as Nina had indicated. Um, so a lot of uh, the people that normally would have been involved uh, certainly would have been there, uh, perhaps. You never know. Uh, then there's also the factor of organizations like the Justice Democrats, like brand new Congress. There is no question that the amount of resources that could have put in in terms of boots on the ground could have made a difference. I think all of those things are valid. I also think it's very valid to speak on the fact that Chantel Brown received in excess of $3 million in campaign money in the last two weeks. That's amazing. That's a lot of money and a lot of TV ads that ran ad nauseum. In fact, as soon as I got to Cleveland, when we got to our Airbnb, opened up the laptop, immediately when you go to YouTube, first ad is about Nina Turner with the bowl of ish comment. So they were obviously running this repeatedly. Uh, somebody had mentioned uh, that we were there was watching Jeopardy one of those evenings. And they mentioned that there was a camp, there was a commercial for Chantel Brown on every commercial break. I mean, talk about, you know, really just going to town on all of that advertising. Jason, happy to do it. Uh, and I would do it again. Uh, but here's what I would say in addition to that, which I think is important to remember. These campaigns are not without their flaws. They are not without their mistakes. And one of the things that had I had I been involved with the campaign earlier, I would have been focused on. And it is very unfortunate that this happened. But I will tell you, um, I got a very sinking feeling as soon as I got to Cleveland on that Friday last week, a week ago, where I thought, um, Something's not right. This campaign is nowhere near where it needs to be. Uh, 
for example, there were only in, in the campaign headquarters, mind you, there were only, I guess, seven to 10 people. Now, when you're this close to election day, you would think that there would be a groundswell of volunteers. And the reason I say that is because for those of you who don't know, in Cleveland, you have Cleveland State University, you have Cuyahoga County Community College, which Nina Turner was, or I believe may still be a professor at. You have uh, John Carroll University, you have Notre Dame College, you have Case Western Reserve University. And all of these schools are within the Cleveland, basically within the Cleveland city limits, or maybe a few miles outside thereof. Uh, that is an endless supply of volunteers or people seeking course credit or people looking to get uh, semester credit. So, or I said semester credit, so an internship, semester credit, or people who just want to volunteer. So there are a lot of reasons why there should have been, in my opinion, I don't know, 50 to 60 volunteers that should have been in that campaign office. Uh, you know, Nino is an amazing, amazing person. Uh, there's not enough good that I can say about her. There's not enough good that I can say about her message. But sometimes the way these operations get run have to be called into question. Um, I don't understand for the life of me how there were an excess of about 200 yard signs that were left in Nina's uh, campaign office before it was all said and done. And we were driving around the district and there were Chantel signs in a variety of places and Nina's signs were not and they should have been. Rule of thumb if you're running a campaign, one of the first things that you should know, especially when it comes to marketing, very important. Anytime you see an opponent's sign, you plot one of your signs down right next to it. You never allow that person to take any real estate in terms of marketing in the district. Always make sure that you are covering that territory. If a Chantel Brown sign is there, you put a Nina Turner sign there. Heck, you might want to put two Nina Turner signs there for every one that you see. For all those extra ones that were out there, I don't know how they got left behind, but I know that if I was in charge or if I had any say in the matter, there's no way that any sign would have been left. In fact, we would have been looking to probably order more because we would have been running it ad nauseum. And why is that? Well, if you don't have as much money as you had last August, and, and my understanding is that the fundraising numbers were about $6 million last time, about $1.3 million this time. That's a huge difference. But if you know how to run a campaign on a shoestring budget, and I did that, you have to do whatever you can to market your candidate. And if that means that you only have the resources for signs in the ground, well, then that's what you do. And you put those signs everywhere. You make sure that everybody sees them. No stone unturned. If you have interns, volunteers that are out there, you have to make sure that they see them. Those are basic, in my opinion, basic one-on-one parts of uh, branding and marketing your candidate. Now, another thing, uh, if you know ahead of time that your opponent is going to put in a boatload of money in the whole stretch from corporate special interests to try to knock you off, you have to be able to set X amount of dollars aside for GOTV. Whether that's three, four hundred thousand uh, dollars, if you raise one point three million, I would think that you would set at least a few hundred thousand aside to make sure that you have enough for at least the last two weeks of the election. So that way you can be running at least one ad consistently on TV uh, all over uh, the district. And there are ways to do that. There are organizations that provide you the opportunity to market exactly what it is that you're trying to do. So, for example, there are organizations such as, you know, what we've used, uh, 
to sort of micro-target certain areas. So for example, if you look at the congressional district and there are certain areas within that district that have, let's say, super voters, people that you know are watching MSNBC and CNN at seven, eight o'clock at night, you wanna make sure that you're buying ad spots in those very specific areas and getting it on TV. That's where it's the most effective. And that's where people are gonna see it, especially people who vote. Uh, that's what you do on a shoestring budget. We knew it worked because people who were showing up at the polling stations uh, whether in early voting, but especially on election day, when Jen ran against Wasserman Schultz, they were mentioning how they were seeing that. And to me, I think that makes a difference for sure. So with that said, that is another component of, you know, why this campaign was not successful. You know, you have to be able to prepare for this. You have to know that they're going to come at you with everything they've got. And as far as I can tell, that wasn't really there. And I know the excuse is going to be, well, a lot of progressives and just people in general in politics are very apoplectic at this point. They don't really want to be involved. There's a lot of nihilism. I get all of that. But there's always ways, always ways. Nina is, like I said, if you can't get you know juiced up for Nina Turner, you know I don't know who you can get juiced up for. But all you got to do is hear her speak and know that she's not only the real deal, but can inspire you to do many great things. At least that's how I feel. And my observation in terms of the operation was that it, lay, it left a lot to be desired. It left a lot to be desired. And, you know, there, there are a multitude of reasons why she lost. Jim Clyburn coming into town. Tim Ryan endorsed her. Sherrod Brown endorsed her. Of all the people that could have endorsed Chantel Brown, the fact that Sherrod Brown endorsed her really says a lot about how there really is no principles. How about just stay out of the race? How about not get involved? Nina Turner is non-corporate, and you, Rep. Senator Brown, are supposed to be representing that non-corporate wing, that labor wing of the Democratic Party, however small it might be at this point. But the fact that you're backing Chantel Brown, who is flushed with corporate money, is unbelievable. And if that's not bad enough, you had the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters backing Chantel Brown. And this becomes the huge point of contention when we're talking about the labor movement. There is a huge difference between labor and unions. In unions, in many instances, as we saw when Bernie ran against Hillary in 2016, it is a top-down approach. Now, anytime the rank and file is allowed to decide who they're going to support, they often will support Bernie Sanders, if not every time. Whenever the board at the top makes the decision, or whoever the head of the organization would be, they're going to endorse the corporate candidate. Unions are just as guilty as any organization of making those same anti-labor mistakes or deliberate mistakes. And that's a problem. All that corporate money is anti-labor money. And yet the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters backed Chantel Brown against Nina Turner. So what does that say? It says to me that there's a huge problem and we can't ignore the fact that there is a, like I said, big difference between union and labor. Union is top down, labor is bottom up. And that's the difference. And that's why somebody like Chris Smalls is not talking about, well, we're, we're union. We, no, we are labor or workers' rights. The speech he gave yesterday on the, the Senate committee floor in front of Bernie Sanders and Lindsey Graham, 
And he looked right at Lindsey Graham and said, this is not a left thing or a right thing. This is not a blue or red thing. This is a workers thing. And that's what it is, because it is the great unifier. And what we saw in Cleveland, that wasn't unification at all. How do you unify around corporate money? You're, you're unifying against everything that you supposedly stand for. That doesn't make sense. And so, as I said, you know, there were a lot of mistakes. Do I think that Nina's race against Chantel was closer probably two or three weeks prior to election day? Yeah, probably. But that doesn't negate the fact that we were there. We were there in Cleveland and there were nowhere near the amount of boots on the ground that you needed. Now, granted, Chantel didn't have any boots on the ground. And we were canvassing in areas that you would expect to see Chantel's people. And they just weren't there. She basically relied solely on corporate money and doing, I guess, uh, meet and greet events over the last few weeks. Uh, you know, little rallies, I suppose. And I guess for her, that was enough. It proved to be enough. But it is frustrating. And I don't want to name names, but I'm telling you, I am telling you, even in non corporate campaigns. There are grifters. There are people who are going to take advantage of people even like Nina Turner. Their interests are not our interests. Their interests, first and foremost, are their careers and making money. And we saw that firsthand. It's not good. And there is sort of a reckoning of sorts that needs to happen. I'm not saying I have every answer, because I don't. But I know enough to know when Something's a foul. Nina deserved so much better. And I just get the feeling that some people take advantage of her because they know how, um, how much of a heart of gold she has. And sometimes, as uh, we will be discussing as we go forward, there's a thing called, you know, we're very big proponents of loyalty. It's a very rare thing in politics because most people are very opportunistic. But there's also misplaced loyalty. There are times where you are loyal to a fault, and that's not good. So being able to distinguish between those two things is a big deal. And could it have been the difference for Nina? Had things been run like a well-oiled machine? Would it have been different if they were more prepared for GOTV in terms of the funding that they needed? in terms of the support that should have been out there on the ground? Yeah, I think it could have been different. Would it have been enough to win? Without the support of the squad and various uh, non-corporate groups that really needed to step up for her? Maybe not, but you know, maybe if she had all those things, it would have been the difference. But the fact that she was so summarily cast aside, I have never seen anybody really sacrifice as much as Nina Turner has for Bernie Sanders and the movement. She really put it all on the line. She really had an amazing career trajectory ahead of her politically if she had just straightened up and flew right, much to uh, what people would have assumed had been initially support for the Clintons, but decided that it was more important on principle to support Bernie Sanders. She became persona non grata in a lot of those circles. And there's a lot of things that people will say about somebody like Nina that is simply not true. You know, Hold out hope on one person. But to say that having somebody like Nina in the halls of Congress wouldn't have made a positive difference, 
I really don't know what you're looking at. And so for those that are out there, especially on the nihilistic left or just nihilistic politics in general, can't even really say that it's the left at this point. Uh, you know, Jimmy Dore and a lot of others within those ranks want you to believe that the answer outside the two-party system is to go with something like the People's Party or the Green Party. Look, it is not without merit. And I do believe in a multi-party system. That is what we should have. But if you don't have first-past-the-post options like right-choice voting and open primaries, you're never going to get it. It's, nothing's ever going to change. Everything is always going to revert back to the two-party duopoly. That is what was on the menu. That is what we will be stuck with. And unless there is advocacy going out right now, and the only one I see doing that is Andrew Yang with the forward party saying we need ranked-choice voting and open primaries. That is the only way it's going to change. Until then, you're just spinning on the hamster wheel. And trying to dunk on people like Nina Turner, my God, what are your standards? What, what, what are you even doing at this point? Especially an organization like the People's Party. You don't have any candidates. You have no infrastructure. You've got scandal written all over you. I understand people want a way out of the two-party duopoly. I'm be the first to say that I, I'm on that train. But if you don't actually have a plan, then you don't have anything. And that's why people will continue to fight within the two-party system. So think long and hard about who you're bashing and who you're, you know, gloating about. The fact that people are gloating about Nina Turner losing, I, I just, I don't know what I'm seeing here. Like, do, do, do people just forget how much she sacrificed? Do people genuinely forget how much she put her neck on the line for this movement? Because I do. I remember the first time I met Nina. And I don't. You know, I don't know how many people know this or not, but I was actually at the People's uh, Convention, as it was called, in 2016 in Philadelphia. It was a, you know, a few hundred people that showed up. It was nice. Uh, but at this particular event, Nina showed up and she wrapped her arms around Jill Stein before she gave a speech. And this was a day before the convention began. And I knew in that moment, oh, boy, this is going to play at the convention. And it did. Boy, did it play. Oh, boy. And, yeah, she sealed her fate that day. There's no question that she did. And Nina felt it was more important to be principled than anything else, and I will always love her for that, as everybody else should. But here we are today wondering where the hell do we go forward. We don't really have much direction. The entire movement is decimated. We've now got Roe v. Wade that is being completely gutted. And... Even in that moment, I almost feel like there is a silver lining. And the reason I say that is very simple. The silver lining is this regarding Roe v. Wade. You've got the Democrats led by Pelosi, Clyburn, and even the president who are claiming that the solution is just to vote for more Democrats. That is not the solution. The solution is to codify Roe v. Wade. And if that means that you have to temporarily remove the filibuster, and allow for a temporary vote to codify it, then that's what you do. It's been codified in the House, could codify it in the Senate. But there is no push for that. The only push right now is vote more Democrats. You know, Madison Cawthorn is very likely going to be out of Congress because he ran his mouth about the wrong people regarding sexual escapades and drug use and all that stuff. When they want to get somebody in line or get somebody out, on Capitol Hill, they're usually able to do it. So the idea that you can't unite the Democratic Party behind codifying Roe v. Wade 
if you have to do a little arm twisting. The president of the United States is capable of doing that, but he's not going to because he is anti-choice. So is Speaker Pelosi and so is Whip Clyburn. All you have to do is look at their rhetoric. And anyone who comes at me with their crap about how Planned Parenthood has a 100% voter rating for Joe Biden, Planned Parenthood is one of the biggest reasons we don't have universal health care, and that's a fact. So don't forget that one either. Uh, all of these are for-profit industries. And by being extra friendly to the Democratic Party, gets you far. Just like assuming that Debbie Wasserman Schultz has some type of a good environmental record, because according to the Sierra Club and the Conservation uh, League of Conservation Voters, uh, they seem to think that she does, even though she's one of the biggest financial beneficiaries of the fracking industry. I don't know. What's your standard? Apparently, you don't have one. And you got Debbie out there leading a rally in, in Fort Lauderdale the other day about, oh, it's all these right-wing extremists. Yeah, there's right-wing extremists in the Democratic Party. And you're responsible Drifting this party all the way to the right, making sure that Bernie Sanders, the true non-corporate left winger who could have really driven the Democratic Party in the direction that it needed to go in 2016, but her own selfish political ambitions as chair of the DNC, who made sure that that primary was as rigged as any primary there ever was. And believe me, I saw it up close and personal. I know it was rigged. And there's different ways to rig it. It isn't just with the votes. It's with airtime. It's with going to a campaign office and making sure that any paraphernalia for Bernie is non-existent. Everything is for Hillary. It's about making sure that all of the local chapters understand that if you get out of line and support Bernie Sanders, you are toast. Look at what they did to Tulsi Gabbard before she went off the deep end. They told her. They were, said, they were basically saying, Tulsi Gabbard, you've got a bright future in the Democratic Party. But you endorse Bernie Sanders? Oh, no, your future's over now. Now we're going to pull all the funding. Now you don't get any support anymore. That's one way. And that's only what you see in public. You don't even know what the hell goes on behind closed doors. But I've seen it. Plenty of plenty of good stuff. Let me assure you. That rigging? Oh, it's deep. Oh, it's deep. It's deep. There was an incident in New York with somebody who uh, was on the uh, New York Board of Elections uh, uh, she had been there for many, many years, and they needed to throw X amount of people off the voting rolls in Brooklyn because they knew that Bernie was going to win uh, in New York City, especially in Brooklyn and likely in the Bronx. And what ended up happening was they had to they had to do what the GOP does, which on their side, they do kick people off the voting rolls. Well, guess what? Democrats do it, too. And in this case, they kicked about 100,000, I think it was, of people off the voter rolls. Wait, but those that are real politicos know about this, know what happened, know what happened in Brooklyn, know that Bernie was going to absolutely clean up in Brooklyn, but it didn't happen because of this incident. And what happened as a result? What happened to this member of the Board of Elections? Well, somehow she got $6 million richer by selling her old brownstone on the Upper West Side of New York City. I'm sure it's just coincidence. But that's just one example. So much of the corruption, so much of the rigging, so much of the things that go on, you don't see it. You don't even know where it's happening. You don't even know how it's happening. But let me assure you, it is. It is a dirty, effing, corrupt system. And if you think that just arbitrarily starting a third party is going to solve that, 
People think that you can form a third party and build its infrastructure in 10 years. You'll be lucky if you could do it in 25. These things take forever because so much of what we're trying to do is from the top down. Unless the non-corporate movement recognizes that you have to take over local precincts, you have to take over local DECs. It's not sexy work. Most of the time, it's easy to just get people on there because usually they're older and they don't have much going on. And they're also good foot soldiers for the party. They don't ask questions and they don't want from much. So it's much easier to control. But when people come in like the Pied Piper and want to change up things, oh no, you get, you know, you're going to catch a lot of hell for it. But it's been done and it can be done. Are you willing to put in the work? That's the question. Are you willing to put in the work? A lot of people are not really willing to put in the work. And that's what we've seen as regarding this movement. A lot of people don't want to put in the work for Nina. A lot of people don't want to put in the work when it's an uphill trajectory. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It is hard. But we need much more unification and, and uh, consolidation on the non-corporate side. And it doesn't even have to be called the left. Hell, it doesn't. It shouldn't even be called progressive. It should be called non-corporate populism because that's what it is. You can be extremely powerful if you know where to go and how to do it. The GOP does it. They do it ruthlessly. One of the biggest problems on the GOP side is that there isn't enough non-corporate candidates running for office. They're out there, but it's not that many. And they never really garner uh, enough juice because there's not a forceful enough movement on that side as of yet. And Trump has hoodwinked a lot of people, obviously, and so is DeSantis. And as it stands right now, either one of them is going to be the next president. But what I can tell you in the state of Florida, that no one is more responsible for DeSantis's upward trajectory than Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Why is she the most consequential person in this, uh, you know, in this circumstance? Well, she is still technically the head of the Florida Democratic Party, even if it isn't in name. Uh, she is more than responsible for why Manny Diaz is the chair of the Florida Democratic Party. He is a Republican. Uh, he, everyone can say whatever they want, but that's the truth. Her relationship with Michael Bloomberg and the funding that he has put into this party. Michael Bloomberg is a Republican. He may be a liberal Republican, but he's, he's a Republican. He is as pro-corporate as it gets, and the party has completely dwindled. The infrastructure of the party is out of sight, out of mind. And here's a state that generally has always had more registered Democrats than Republicans. Well, not anymore. And you can blame being kicked off the voter rolls all you want. The truth is, most people don't want to be in the Democratic Party. At least not here, they don't. And why would you be? Nothing changes. Anytime we present the real change that's necessary, it always gets smashed down. And until there is sort of this reckoning of sorts uh, regarding that type of leadership, that type of pro-corporate leadership, Debbie can go and grandstand about how Roe v. Wade is a right-wing extremist problem. But if you're not going to say that codifying Roe v. Wade and the Senate and the president pushing forward is going to be what's necessary in order to change it, nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to remain the same. Everything. So you have to do that. Thank you, Bronx. Appreciate you, brother. I used to get really upset, really upset 
when I would see the things that Debbie and other corporate Demo members of the Democratic machine were getting away with, I used to think it's such an injustice. You know, it's not right. Uh, you know, they say there's no room for self-righteousness in politics. But now I I'm just much more hardened to the reality because I see it coming way before anyone else does. You have to get sharp about this. You have to know that there are, even in, especially on, in what we're trying to do, there are infiltrators everywhere. They're everywhere. How do you spot them? It's not that easy, but usually it, 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 uh, it, it really is, um, it goes without saying that a lot of these, a lot of these uh, obvious points can be found if you look close enough. So as we bring the conversation full circle for today, uh, you know, Mina lost for a multitude of reasons, but she also lost not just because of the fact that the left is a mess and completely discombobulated at this point in terms of strategy, in terms of how they want to approach uh, electoral politics and, and the left movement going forward, especially with labor. The two things need to be interlocked together because that's the only way we succeed. You know, Jen likes to say that Chantel Brown is Debbie Wasserman Schultz in Cleveland. She is. There's really no difference. You know, just a party trooper instead of a party pooper. We need more of those. And we are ultimately only going to get where we need to go if people start getting serious about what needs to be done and start kicking ass and taking names. Can't be afraid to basically tell people that get on, you know, shit or get off the pot. People need to be calling out people like Jimmy Dore and saying, what the hell is your, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? Because you have none. You try to push anyone into something like the People's Party, you're a fraud. And everyone should know it. Everyone should know it and should call you on it. And no one should be afraid to say it. Where I come from, you know, we don't just use words. We use these two. That's how I operate. I don't, I don't have any patience for this. We need a party whose main voices are from labor. Chris Smalls, that's who needs to be leading the movement. And if it has to be through the Democratic Party, so be it. But those are the people who need to lead. We have no living wage. We have no health care. The planet's on fire. We have it. We're, at, we're this close to World War III. We really are. I mean, my God, the Biden administration, you're going to have people clamoring for Trump to get back in there because the one thing Trump didn't do was start a war when he was president. And you've got Biden literally trying to start World War III, although I don't think Biden's the one doing it. Uh, he's still the president and the buck stops there. And we have to formulate a rugged, aggressive movement. And a lot of it is also going to depend on whether or not people really understand how to run these campaigns going forward, because even a campaign like Nina Turner had a lot of flaws and was able to observe that in real time. And being able to cultivate support, it's, it's actually not as hard as you think. You just got to know where to reach people the right way. And the message is also important. And how you're involved with your community is important. If all you're doing is running for office and not actually serving the community, 
you're wasting your time. You're wasting the movement's time. Community gardens, beach cleanups, composting, homeless care packages, volunteering at events where people need help. Those are the things that need to happen. Those are the things you need to be doing. Supporting small businesses and promoting them. That's a big one. And that makes a difference. Jen coming in hot. There is a way to do this, guys. It's actually not that complicated. Politics is not complicated. People are complicated. And everyone wants a seat at the table and everyone wants recognition. Everyone wants a pat on the ass or a tap on the head. All right, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of people do. And that's one of the big problems. Who cares if you're getting the credit? Who cares if you're getting acknowledged? I've provided a lot of important guidance and information to a lot of people in the political circles, some at the very top. And you know what? I don't give a shit if I get any credit for it. I don't care because it's not about me and it ain't about you either. It's about all of us because I got to tell you, things are getting really freaking bad out there. The highest temperature ever recorded on Earth ever happened recently in India in the month of at the, at the first of May, I believe. Heat index of about 143 degrees. Yes, it was right by the equator, but who gives a damn? That is insane. And that should scare the living shit out of everybody. And you're going to worry about this useless crap, this, this, this arguing on social media every goddamn day. Walmart needs to be unionized. Amazon's important. So is Starbucks. We have to take on Walmart. The biggest impediment, especially in the parts of the country that need it the most, where Walmart is the only thing that's there. You know, the one thing you can say about Amazon compared to Walmart, Amazon at least has quality products. Walmart is the biggest unmitigating disaster in the history of our country. They are the most disgusting company, bar none, and they prey on the most vulnerable. I wouldn't buy a damn thing in that store if you paid me to buy to, to take it out. And the Waltons, they're the biggest welfare queens this country's ever seen. And they are the reason why the Clintons ever made it to the White House. Unbelievable that anyone would ever walk into that hellhole for the people who have no choice. I completely sympathize. But those stores should not exist. Shop at Costco if you need bulk shopping. Shop at a local farmer's market if you can. And build a goddamn community garden wherever you are. People will be interested in that. Shop small, not Walmart. And unionize the hell out of them. They pay disaster wages. As soon as you sign up to become an employee, they immediately ask you 
to sign up for welfare if the wage ain't high enough. And you better believe it isn't. Every single thing about Walmart, every single thing. If you want to point the finger at one organization that is emblematic of everything that is wrong in this country right now, it's Walmart. They're the one. There's a lot of things wrong with a lot of different companies. You can find flaws in a lot of them. There is no question that there are many problems with Amazon, with with Starbucks, with Target, with Subway. I can keep McDonald's. There is nothing redeemable about Walmart at all. And it's the biggest effing company in this country. That's that is it. That's everything. And the only reason I realized this is because I actually had to step foot in a Walmart for the first time in God knows how many years when I was in Cleveland. And at that moment, I realized, oh, yeah, this is why America sucks. Small town America was destroyed. Small town America was destroyed by Walmart. And here we are today, wondering how the hell are we ever going to get out of the ditch? I can tell you right now, the unionizing efforts have to find their way to Walmart. They really do. You need people protesting outside. You need people handing out leaflets. And some people have to be willing to sacrifice their jobs to do it. Because if there's one thing Walmart's going to do very quickly... The second people start to try to form a union at Walmart, oh, everyone's going to get fired. They will fire. They'll they'll shut down a, uh, an entire department if they have to. The difference is, is that many people in small town America depend on Walmart for everything. They depend on Walmart for food. They depend on Walmart for clothes. They depend on Walmart for diapers, for toys. They have everything all under one roof, and it's the biggest load of crap you're ever going to find. The cheapest crap that's all made in China. I mean, hell, if you think about it, the Waltons might might as well have written the normal trade relations with China bill because everything that could possibly come from outside this country for rock-bottom prices. How in the hell do you think the Waltons became 100 billionaires? To even say that is crazy. But how do you think it happens? By screwing the American worker for decades. I'm happy for my friend Farboat as a diehard uh, L.A. Rams fan, but my God, Stan Kroenke, oof. He's one of the absolute worst. And he's part of the Walton family. And it's a damn shame. But they're so rich, again, they could buy NFL teams. They could do all these things. And just remember, it's always at the expense of the American worker. Always. So I know, just getting started. But you gotta, we gotta go after Walmart. It's time. This is a reckoning. And it's been two or three decades late. But it needs to happen. If I could have one... If I could get one thing done in my time in politics, it would be to to take down Walmart. That's what I would do. 
You want a general strike? Dragos, general strike against Walmart. That's who needs it. The mom and pop shops of this country were destroyed because of them. And everyone knows it. And we let it happen. We let it happen. I never shopped at Walmart, but I know a lot of people who did. And I know a lot of people who just look at it as, well, Walmart has the cheapest prices. Why do you think they do? Because their whole effing company is subsidized. And they bring in everything from outside the country, from places where slave labor is allowed. Trump was right about America first. The problem is, is that he's a false prophet and he doesn't actually care. But if you can shop America first, that's a good thing. And even more so, shopping America first with people who make a living wage, because that's what they deserve. Everyone deserves to live with dignity. No one should be living on welfare because no one needs to live on it. The only people who need to live on welfare are because there are those who want to screw workers for making a living wage. That's what it is. Everyone has a role to play and everyone is entitled to live with dignity and everyone's entitled to health care. And the fact that we don't have child care. I can go on and on. Right? The fact that the president could implement the Defense Production Act and build the clean energy grid like that. But he doesn't do it because our country is completely captured by corporate power. There are a lot of places to go with this. But for me, one of the things that will allow the labor movement to succeed going forward, you got to go after Walmart. That's where it's at. Walmart is, that's the reckoning. The reckoning is with them. The reckoning is with the Waltons. The reckoning is with the fact that they are massive financial contributors to both political parties. The fact that they are the biggest welfare queens in the country. That is how they maintain their empire. Time's come to take them on. If nothing else, if my if my 39th year on this earth can be can be defined in any way, fight Walmart. Because they they haven't been touched yet and they need to be touched. They need they need uh, a wake-up call. Because they don't have it yet. Amazon's got it, Starbucks has got it. And many others are going to have it. But Walmart's the end game. We get them. That's when the general strike will really take off. They control so much of the economy, it's, it's sick. And that was one of the lasting images I had from leaving Cleveland. It was just how devastating it is for people. And how they've allowed it to get to that point. So, hope you guys are well. And with that said, uh, 39th trip around the sun. And I hope to see you all uh, on Monday. Uh, we're going to be at Sheila McCormick's official campaign launch in Tamarack. We're looking forward to helping her get reelected as our one truly good congresswoman down here in South Florida. And we're going to be speaking with a good friend, Erica Smith, who's running for Congress in North Carolina's first district. Maybe have another guest. You never know. Hope you enjoyed my thoughts and sentiments on my birthday. Appreciate all of you guys. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, 
please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.